like it, bitch, moan, and complain. If you do like it, hit the subscribe button. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge right here. Holy shit. Can't afford that. You know, we can surround ourselves every single day with someone that will agree with us. That does not make them healthy for you. That does not make them your friend. God damn, that's well said. I'm going to come up with any friggin' voice that I want to come up with. And if you don't like it, guess what? YouTube is a big friggin' platform. I'm sure. I'm positive. What the hell, man? All right, maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe I throw in some voices. Maybe you like those. Maybe you don't. <laughs> you hear that? That's leaving the show on a high note today. Hopefully it's a good episode that people enjoy and it causes people to leave even more comments and we'll talk about those on future shows as well. Johnson, former United States most wanted cyber criminal, now good guy and host of the Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, today's episode is kind of a special one. We're going through some viewer comments, some emails, some questions. We're going to talk about them and answer some questions and just give some feedback. Now, why in the hell are we doing that? The why the hell we're doing that is because it's important to me that my listeners and viewers know that I pay attention to what you say. I pay attention to that feedback. It does not mean I will always do what you want me to do, but I do read those comments. I often respond to those comments. On the YouTube comments, a lot of the times I don't have time to go in or the space to go into full-fledged responses of the feedback. The people who email me, sometimes I don't have the uh, the time to give a fully proper response and sometimes that response I, i'll read an email and i'm i'm instantly aware that it's not just me answering this individual but there are other people who have the exact same question or feedback and they would like to hear my response to that as well so today we're doing a show about that's going to talk about and address some of the viewer comments answer some of the questions and you know what i think that we're going to do this on a regular basis. No, not every week, but, you know, every five, six weeks, something like that. We'll just pull some comments aside, answer them, go from there. So what does that mean? That means make some comments. You know, when you watch the show, if you don't like it, bitch, moan and complain. If you do like it, hit the subscribe button. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you'd like me to talk about. Some guests you'd like me to have on subjects, anything else like that. Give me your feedback. I respect it. I truly do. Even if I kid around a lot saying I don't listen to assholes, but I'd listen to assholes as well. I respect everyone across the board. All right. So please let me get your feedback and we'll talk about it. Today's From the Headlines, we're talking about EV vehicles. That's right, the electric vehicles. I got to tell you, I personally, when GM showed that big-ass electric Hummer, 
I fell in love with that damn thing. I was like, by God, I wish I could have me one of those. Then I saw the price, you know, $117,000. And I'm like, holy shit, can't afford that. And then when it came out, you know, it was not all that it was hyped up to be. You know, I I saw these YouTube videos and these TikTok videos because we know I like the talk. I saw these videos. This guy was uh, trying to charge up that H Hummer and it cost him $80 in order to go like 20 miles. And there was another guy that was trying to charge it up and it was going to take like a week and a half to charge the damn thing up to full charge. I am not alone in my suspicion and overall nonplussedness when it comes to electric vehicles. Yes, they go fast. Yes, they've got torque through the roof. If you want to call it torque, I mean, it's not really torque because it's instant power right there. They're very nifty vehicles. I think I prefer the hum and the roar of a V8. That's just me. Like I've got two vehicles out there right now. Both of them are Acuras and they're both gas operated because I like gasoline. I am not alone in that sentiment. It turns out that all of these car makers plans to go EV, they're all being kind of slowed down as the car makers backpedal because most of the population, they're starting to understand that, hey, We don't think that we like these EVs as much as what everyone is telling us we should like it. There's a reason that Tesla, the stock, is continuing to go down right now. There's a reason that Ford has decided not to invest those billions of dollars that they were going to invest into their electric vehicle segments. It continues to go like that. And and the issues are legion. First of all, While, yes, once the vehicle is built, it produces less emissions, in order to build that vehicle, you are absolutely causing a lot of damage to the environment. So it kind of ixnays that. The charging stations, they are few and far between. I am in the South, and let me tell you, they are few and far between. If you're in someplace like Kentucky, the Appalachian foothills or the Appalachian mountains, by God, good luck trying to find a charging station. Those trucks that they're building, what's the range on them? That's one of the main problems right there. No one is really confident on the ranges of these vehicles. If you're out in the wilderness someplace and you run out of juice, it's not like you can go get a can of gas and gas the damn thing up. Not only that, if those batteries get wet, the fire that ensues from that can be and is catastrophic. It takes hours upon hours to put out a fire on an EV. All this said and done, what's actually what we're seeing right now is that most people are really kind of frowning on EVs. Uh, You look out on the West Coast, a lot of EVs are second vehicles for people. They have a internal combustion engine for main travel and then for their, you know, travel around town as a secondary vehicle for the rich people, they have an EV. What do I think? I think it's a good idea on paper. I think in practice, not so much. I think that we may get there. I don't think that right now is the right time. And again, I really like the roar of a V8 engine.
Today's art of accountability. I'm going to talk about the safety net, the support group. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, there's a guy that reached out to me the other day. His name's Kyle. We're going to read one of his uh, messages to me and talk about Kyle during the viewer comments section today. But gentleman reached out to me and he, he's going through it. Let's be honest. A lot of people in not only this country, but worldwide, they're going through it. They're having tough times. They, they don't know what to do. They're having rough, rough times making ends meet and relationship problems. And they think their lives are shit. And sometimes they are shit. The question he asked me is, you know, what advice would you give me? And my advice is, dude, and I'll tell everyone the same thing. It's what helped me more than anything to turn my life around. And it continues to help me even today is that idea of having a support group or a safety net. Now, what do I mean by that? A safety net is a group of people that you can rely on to call you out when you're doing wrong and to let you know when you're doing good. When you're in danger of falling, those people act as a safety net to catch you, to make sure that everything's going all right. They also act as a support group so that if you need someone to talk to, if you need feedback, if you just want to get some things off of your chest, if you want to sound something off someone, that support group is there to hear you out and to give you real, truthful, objective advice and feedback. They're not just yes people. You know, we can surround ourselves every single day with someone that will agree with us. That does not make them healthy for you. That does not make them your friend. We need to make sure that we have a support group and a safety net that's there to actually help us, benefit us, tell us what we're doing wrong, tell us what we're doing right. Now, how do you find people like that? That's what's kind of interesting with me. I didn't have that when I got out of prison. I didn't have that at all. I got on LinkedIn and I created this this kind of fake safety group and, and support net for myself. I surrounded myself with all these law enforcement people knowing that and I, I put my I put my real profile up on LinkedIn and, and all the crime that I committed and everything else. And I surrounded myself with every single law enforcement officer that would talk to me, knowing that they would keep their eye on me and that if I screwed up, by God, they would be there to point it out and to keep me in check. And it worked. So it started out kind of a kind of a false type notion. But that idea of faking it until you make it absolutely worked in my case. So you have to surround yourself with your peers. Ask them if they, hey, can I rely on you to kind of be a, one of my safety net people, one of my support group people? Can I, you know, if I have problems, if I if I think that I'm in danger of uh, falling back or or uh, uh, doing something that's toxic or unhealthy, can I rely on you as someone to talk to or to to call me out or even to tell me when I'm doing things right? And the thing is, it, it takes a degree of openness about that. You have to expose yourself. You have to be willing to be vulnerable enough to ask someone to do that for you. You have to be humble enough to ask someone to do that for you. But I'll tell you, if you can do that, if you're willing to do that, it makes all the difference in the world. That support group, that safety net will absolutely be there to help you through the hard times, to keep you on the path of, of healthiness and, and positivity and make sure that you're doing everything right. So, if you're wondering what one thing you can do is in order to make sure that you're doing things right, 
if you don't have a support group, if you don't have a safety net, if you can't immediately name out three or four people that you can rely on to do this for you, I would urge you to find those people as soon as you possibly can, because that is one of the primary steps of leading a good, healthy, beneficial, and positive life. And that is today's Art of Accountability. All right, so for today's main episode, what are we doing? We're talking, we're handling, we're, we're addressing some of the viewer comments, some of the viewer questions. Turns out, you get about 46 years old, you need some reading glasses. I am not 46, I am 54, and I absolutely need some reading glasses. So we're going to don these little things so I can read the text on the screen. We're gonna talk about some of the viewer comments, we're gonna address some of them. Hopefully it's a good episode that people enjoy, and it causes people to leave in even more comments, and we'll talk about those on future shows as well. So, right out of the gate, this is from the Lex Friedman podcast episode that I did. It's already got over 7 million views. If you've not watched it, head over there and watch it. If you have watched it, head over there and watch it again. Leave a comment. Yes, I read the comments over there. On this episode, um, it's a three-hour, 47-minute episode. And a lot of the time, as I'm telling the story, I, uh, I chuckle I laugh. It's not because I find humor in victimizing people. It's not. It's not because I'm, I think it's funny that I had a life of crime. That laughter, to me, is, is a coping mechanism. It's, it's something that allows me to continue to tell the story because I look back at that and I, I find my actions absolutely horrible. There's no redeeming feature in me whatsoever when I was committing crime, when I had that criminal lifestyle. So um, fairy snuff, this individual responds and they say, I see a man who could appear glib and carefree about his crimes if it wasn't for the fact that he does everything so differently now. I understand that it's hard for people to listen to someone apparently throwing humor into a history that involved wrecking many people's whole lives. But I see this trait in all of the people, including myself, at 12-step meetings for addictions. We may laugh at a story that to an outsider is horrific, but we aren't laughing because we think it's such a jolly jape and we don't care. This is a different type of laughter. We laugh at the remembering of our horrendous behavior, and others laugh as they identify with acts they are also ashamed of and bewildered by. I wanted to, uh, I am not a bad speaker. I tend to be able to, uh, to voice and uh, get my feelings out and thoughts out in a way that's understood by people, but what, what Fairy Snuff does here is this individual details it and explains it in a way that I absolutely cannot. Um, this, is, this is a very common thing. People who, uh, who have went through trauma, people who have been through the shit, people who have victimized others like me and who have absolutely turned their lives around. We do look back at things and we laugh at 
the lives that we had. Not out of humor, not out of uh, some sort of braggadocio or um, lightheartedness. We laugh because if you don't, the only option is to cry over it. And I, I, I really believe that if you, and I make no mistake, even to this day, I still have a lot of tears about the people that I have hurt and the acts that I have committed. But I, 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 I've turned my life around. I continue to turn my life around. I continue to try to be a better person. And uh, I refuse to look back and let that darkness swallow me. So a lot of the times, I laugh at it. And that allows me to cope with it. That allows me to share things that I, I absolutely would not be able to share were I not. And I'm not alone in that. As Fairy Snuff says, it's, it's those who listen oftentimes will laugh as well. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate these days that uh, I get to talk to victims and I get to talk to former criminals. And as we're talking, you know, telling these stories, a lot of the time we laugh in understanding of the harm that we have caused and the way that we are trying to turn our lives around and the, the refusal to let that overtake us. So I just wanted to share that with people. So this is what we're doing with, with viewer comments. All right. Um, the next viewer comment, this is from the Jordan Peterson show. This is from Patricia Brand 490. And Patricia says, no one is beyond redemption. Jesus Christ died on the cross for everyone, and he loves Brett Johnson and always will. Brett, you always had a friend, and he never left you. His name is Jesus. And Patricia goes on to uh, quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I'm adding Brett to my prayer list. May God richly bless you, not in earthly things, but in heavenly stores, etc. Um, Patricia, I appreciate that. I, I do. Um, I've led a life where uh, I uh, I have a, a lack of faith. All right, I, it's not because I am uh, conceited or don't want to believe. I just have a, uh, a profound lack of faith, and I wish that I didn't. All right, I, I truly do. I uh, nothing would make me happier than to uh, than to be that person that could uh, absolutely embrace the the religion that you have and that belief system that you have i would i would i would love to have that i truly would and i've worked at that and i'm hoping that one of these days i get to that point your wishes i absolutely thank you so much for saying that and i, I truly appreciate that um i guess the the reason that uh one of the reasons that i have such a uh, lack of faith in these things is my upbringing my my mom for those who don't know, my mom oftentimes uh, used religion as a control mechanism against me and my sister. I remember to this, I've told this story before. My mom at one point 
my dad was at work. Me and my sister were in the bedroom playing Atari. And my mom yells at us. Shannon, I used to go by Shannon. My middle name's Shannon. I changed it later on to Brett because, hey, Shannon's a girl's name. But back then I was Shannon. And my mom was like, Shannon, Denise, come here. So uh, we set down our controllers and we walk into the living room where my mom is. And she's got all the lights out. She's got these candles burning. She's got incense burning. And she's taken uh, two dining room chairs She's cleared the middle of the living room, put the table off to the side, and she's got in the middle of the living room, she's got these two dining room chairs facing each other. And um, she said, she's, you know, come here. So I go over and she tells me and my sister, you know, I've sold my soul to Satan so that you and your sister can have a good life. And the Lord Satan is going to call me home when you and your sister graduate college and get settled down. And, uh, you know, that sounds like bullshit. It does because it, it was bullshit. But when you're, you know, nine years old, it doesn't sound like bullshit. Sounds like your mom has sold her soul to the devil. And he's going to, you know, whisk her away to hell at some point once you have a good life. That's what her mom told us. Then she proceeds to tell us you have to prove that you're worthy so how do you prove that you're worthy? Well, that's why the two chairs were there. So what happens is, is mom sits in one chair and me and Denise take turns sitting in the other chair, facing her, keeping eye contact, not blinking. You're not supposed to blink. You can't blink. And the game was mom would let Satan come out through her eyes and you were supposed to think happy Jesus thoughts so that Satan wouldn't take you over. And we spent hours hours of doing that. My mom making these hate-filled faces, you know, just uh, like she wanted to kill us and we're sitting there, you know, scared to death and we'd switch out. Spent hours doing that. And that's just one. That's just one instance of that. I mean, there were there were countless stories that I can tell about my mom using religion to manipulate us. And I, I, I absolutely believe to this day that that is... Uh, that's one of the reasons that I uh, that I have problems with faith. It's not that I don't know the Bible. I do. I am extremely well versed in in the, in the book, and I have I have read it. And I have uh, I've went to church. I've been baptized a couple of times. I just lack that uh, that faith that is so needed in order to be that Christian or that that believer. All right, so this is an email, and this is from Steve. And Steve says, I've been binging your podcast from episode one, which I've got over 100 episodes. Steve, I feel so sorry for you. And then your Criminal Thoughts podcast for the last several months and finally caught up. A little sad, to be honest, to be caught up, but they are coming out often enough over this time. Listening to you talk so personally and candidly about your life, thoughts, regrets, and family, etc., I really feel that you have formed a relationship with your listeners like myself that's more open, honest, and real than we have with the actual people in my life. And it feels like we have been friends for years at this point. However, you know nothing about me. 
I'm also a very candid, open, and honest speaker, partially because that's who I am as an autistic person who has been through a lot of childhood trauma and have really been searching within myself the past few years and learning so much about myself in similar ways that you have. And he goes on talking about how insanely influential parents are toward the childhood. And he, he sends me this email, and, and I just wanted to... Uh, to talk about some of the, that, that initial thing that he says, that idea of being open, honest, and candid. Uh, to me, that is the, uh, I can do nothing more important than that. I spent a lifetime of being nothing but deceitful and dishonest with every single person in my environment. People that I knew, people that I didn't know, people that I considered friends, associates, peers, I was dishonest with everyone. And because of that, I, I fully believe that if I'm going to turn my life around, that it's important for me to be open, honest, and candid, as Steve pointed out. You know, it, it's... Um, it's a weird relationship. Steve points that out in his email. It's it's, it's a weird relationship that uh, it's it's almost like a uh, a weird type of friendship where where you guys know almost everything about me, but I don't know anything about you guys. I assume that uh, a lot that I talk about hopefully resonates with people, not to the point where I have millions of listeners, which by God I wish I had that, but it resonates with people. Because I believe that we all go through the shit at some point. We all go through these trials and tribulations. We have these obstacles in our path. And while you may not have went through, hopefully you've not went through the same type of bullshit that I've went through, but you've got your own bullshit to go through. And maybe if you can see somebody like me, maybe if you can see somebody like me who spent a lifetime breaking the law, using and manipulating other people. If you can see somebody like that, that is willing to turn their life around and be open and honest and candid about the, the successes and the failures and the problems, maybe, by God, that'll do you some good. That's the hope. And you know what? I think it works. I do. I get enough emails. I get enough comments from people that uh, it sounds like it's working. And you know what? It doesn't have to work with everybody. Shit, if it works with one person, it's by God worth me getting out here and, 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 and telling people exactly what happened, what is happening, fears and everything else at the end of the day. So, Steve, I, thank you so much for send that, send, sending that email. And for uh, sitting through <laughs> all of those episodes. Jesus Christ, dude. I don't listen to my own podcast, but thank you for doing that. All right. This next one is from Jeannie from LinkedIn. And so for those who don't know, um, on my Criminal Thoughts podcast, I outed a company called Refend.ai. They were ran by fraudsters. I called them out. As of today, they have shut down. 
Yes, right. Brett Johnson shut a bunch of fraudster entrepreneurs down, and by God, I'm happy about it. So this individual on LinkedIn reaches out to me, and she says, fucking, excuse my language, fucking awesome job on Refend. I am so excited to listen to this episode of Criminal Thoughts. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being skeptical and calling them out in our industry. That could have been a huge disaster. I really, really appreciate your work, Brett. On another message right down below that, she says, between the DDoS attacks on fraud platforms, the uptick on phishing and fraud on fraud thought leaders, and now this, the industry is in serious danger if we do not stay aware. And I do not think that 99.9% of the fraud solution salespeople nor the organizations themselves are aware of the attempts and the danger as being targets. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Think of it like this. The pandemic, prior to the pandemic, these the, the numbers of fraudsters online, they were already exploding. To give you an idea, and I've said this before, Shadow Crew, 2004, law enforcement shuts us down, 4,000 members. Fast forward to 2017, Alpha Bay, largest criminal group online, law enforcement shuts them down, 240,000 members. Fast forward to 2019, pre-pandemic, Dark Web Marketplace gets shut down, 1.15 million members, all of that pre-pandemic. What the pandemic did is it normalized fraud. It made fraud acceptable to an entire huge demographic of individuals. The numbers of fraudsters exploded across the board because now you have such huge numbers of fraudsters on these platforms like Telegram, the dark web, places like that. Because of that, there are so many out there, you have to do something in that environment for that ecosystem to sustain itself. What we're seeing is these individuals, these fraudsters, they're launching DDoS attacks against fraud platforms, against uh, fraud analysts. They're trying to fish these people out to gain access, information, data, to extort them for cash. We're seeing these t attacks continue to ramp up, and that's one of the things that Jeannie points out there. That's not the only thing. You see sites like Refind, fraudsters that are actually trying to use their expertise as fraudsters, as active fraudsters. It would be different. It would be different if it was a fraudster who actually had turned their lives around, who by God meant to do the right thing. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge right here. All right. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about individuals who are continuing to break the law and then they're trying to use that expertise as criminals in order to gain information, access and data from customers and clients, companies by offering a security product, a service maybe even extort these individuals at the end of the day. These are the things that we need to watch out for in this industry. Jeannie is absolutely right. I do not think that the vast majority of people that are in the fraud detection and prevention industry understand that they are targets. So how do you fix that? We have to raise awareness at the end of the day. We have to get out there. We have to bitch, moan, and complain and make sure that people know that, hey, if you work with one of these companies, if you are one of these companies, the chances of you being a, a, a potential target of a fraudster, almost 100%. When we raise awareness, at that point, we 
protect ourselves because we always have our hackles up. We always have the, our eyes wide open about our environment. So Jeannie, thank you so much for that comment. Every comment is not a positive comment. Yes, I was the one that ferreted out these comments for today's episode, and I most of them are positive, but I wanted to talk to address this comment from Cascadia Advanced Manufacturing 2034. He made several comments about a lot of the voices that I make during my show. And he says in this one, bro, the voices are crazy and annoying. Just tell the story. And my response, I told him back. I was like, look, dude, it's my fucking show. I'm going to run it the way I want to run it. I'm going to come up with any friggin' voice that I want to come up with. And if you don't like it, guess what? YouTube is a big friggin' platform. I'm sure. I'm positive. You hear that? That means I'm positive. You can go someplace else and find somebody that ain't giving no damn voices out. Me? I like my voices. If I were to do this, dude, I got to tell you, man, if I were to do this, just, you know, monotone, completely serious, you might get three episodes total out of me because that would bore my ass to death. I would sit there trying to gnaw my wrist <laughs> wide open. I can't do that. I've got to have fun doing this show. Now, that being said, maybe you don't like it. I've had I've had you're not the only person to complain about the the histrionics, the voices that I do, the bullshit that I say you're not. OK, but I have to be able to do this show the way I want to or else I'm not going to have fun doing it. And if I don't have fun doing it, I'm not going to do it. All right. So but please understand. Thank you for listening and good luck finding content that you like that agrees with your monotone sensibilities. Moving on. Right along. <laughs> this is from Horson9. I love this. It's amazing how I cannot. And I think this was the uh, the Jordan Peterson episode where I caught this uh, this comment from. She says, I love this. It's amazing how I cannot relate to your stories. But the pathway out is a lesson for every person on Earth. I don't agree that you have to be at the bottom. I think you can be at your bottom. I cannot tell you the number of times I had to support my son's tough times by simply reminding him that he dug the hole. Now the path out of that hole starts with putting up the ladder and stepping out one rung at a time. And it's his job to climb out. This is a very, very important lesson. All right. We have loved ones. They can be friends, they can be family members, you know, children, associates. We have people that we care about. And sometimes these people that we care about get themselves in the shit. You know, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's relationship problems, maybe it's employment problems, financial problems, whatever it is. They get themselves in the shit. Or maybe they don't get themselves in the shit. They simply find themselves in the shit. Here's what we have to remember. You cannot fix anyone but yourself. And by God, you're lucky to be able to fix yourself. Now, that's a hard lesson to learn. And I was in my 40s until I learned that because I always thought, yeah, I can fix somebody else. You can't. You're lucky to be able to fix yourself. Horson actually absolutely realizes that it's if you've got somebody 
that's in toxic relationships or addiction problems, financial difficulties or whatever, the chances are that their choices is what led them down that path. And it's only their choices that's going to get them out of that path. If you continue to give them monetary support or, or comfort them or, or sit there and, and wallow in self-pity with them or any number of things, that makes you an enabler. That doesn't mean that you have to dismiss that person. That means that you have to understand your role in, in getting them or hoping, helping them to get to realize that only they can get themselves out of that situation that they're in. And, and Horson absolutely says this as well. It's, and, and you're right. My change did not come until I hit that absolute rock bottom. And I thought many times along that path that I had hit that bottom. But by God, I had a lot farther to travel until I got to that point. It's only when... Uh, it's only when that happens with me. It's, it was only when that happened that that change came at that point in time. You know, it's, it's uh, realizing that uh, that every choice that I made was what resulted in the place in the life that I had. And that if I continued to make similar choices as that, that things were not going to get better. I had people that uh, that cared about me. And I think that's one of the important things. That's that's absolutely what caused me to um, or, or what helped helped me turn my life around. If, if I didn't have those people that cared about me and, and that continued to uh, believe in me, I really don't think even though I wanted to turn my life around, I don't think I would have been successful at that. And I think that's one of the things that Horson is uh, is alluding to there. That being there for the people, but understanding at the same time that it's their choices and it's them that has to get themselves out of that hole. So, Horson, thank you so much for this comment. I truly appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> this is from uh, Gian Nacianos. I'm from Kentucky. I don't know how to pronounce a lot of bullshit. So what they say is. When you are honest and forthcoming, you have hope. Those who have been dishonest their whole lives and continue to be will never find the peace they seek. Stay strong, brother. God damn, that's well said. That is. I mean, let's go through that. When you are honest and forthcoming, you have hope. If I have cognitive dissonance, if I have been dishonest my entire life and I continue to choose to be dishonest, what on earth am I hopeful for? It's when one turns their life around, when one makes that decision to be honest regardless, to do the right damn thing regardless, that you actually have hope of, of being successful, of, of leading that, that fruitful, beneficial, positive life. I absolutely agree with you on that. See, that's a short comment. Uh, going on down here. Ah, here we go. This is from Brooke Scott, 95 98. It comes from the uh, from the Jordan Peterson show. And Brooks says, trauma bond kept you at home instead of leaving for California University. My heart understands. You needed more time with Dr. Peterson. A great quote from someone whose name I forget is, 
you are never too old to become who you should have been. You can tell that uh, George Eliot. Uh, you can tell that that uh, that that comment bothers me. That uh, what she's alluding to is is I had a a scholarship when I was a young man, a full ride uh, theater scholarship to uh, San Jose State University, and. Uh, it was given by Edward Emanuel. He, he, his claim to fame, other than being the head of the theater department, he had written the movie Three Ninjas. Not a great movie, but by God, he wrote it. And it's a fun movie. So <laughs> he had given me a scholarship and I had taken the scholarship. And so he, uh, he flies home. He comes back to Hazard and uh, pulls up in the yard. I'm shooting basketball with some friends of mine. I go up to his car and I'm like, I'll walk you in and you can meet my mom. And he's like, no, I got it. And I was like, okay. So he goes in. He stays in there about 15 minutes, comes out white as a sheet, leaves, never says a word to me. Scholarship dies. Uh, what had happened, it took me a couple weeks to find out. But what had happened, uh, my mom, my mom had pulled a knife on the guy and uh, threatened to kill him. Said she'd cut him from, I think the, the phrase was gizzard to uh, gizzard to asshole if she tried to steal her son. And uh, I told that to Dr. Peterson, and Peterson's uh, response was, well, you could have still went. Absolutely right. And he asked me why, and I didn't know. And uh, I read this comment from Brooke Scott. Makes a lot of damn sense. That trauma bond. I still have... I. I I have trouble trouble accepting that because I really, by God, I wanted that. It's one of those life-changing moments and decisions that my life would have maybe went down a different path than it did. Now, that being said, <clears throat> here's what I know today. There is not a doubt in my mind, not one single doubt, that I am doing exactly what I am meant to be doing with my life. That every single thing that I've done in my life or that has been done to me has led to this moment in my life right now. And that, that gives me a lot of comfort. Now, that does not mean that I don't have a, a massive regrets like, like this story that I just told you. I, I absolutely do. But I do find a lot of comfort in knowing, and there, again, there's not a doubt that I'm that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life right now. Moving along, we're going to close this out in just a second because shit, we've been going on for a minute. Uh, this is from S Mariner, eighty two twenty one. They say, "I want to thank you for sharing your story and for allowing people to see you work through your struggles, your courage." Honesty and humility are a model for us all. By the way, in 12-step recovery programs, what you're doing in terms of trying to live a healthy, positive way that benefits others is called living amends. Granted, it's a lifelong process, 
but you are on that path. Without exception, every single one of us has fallen short and can benefit from learning how to look at ourselves and make changes as you have done. Bless you sincerely. Nothing I can say to that, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to go through a few more uh, comments. Here. We're going to wrap it up at this point. Okay. Um, this is from Uber Light. I had a mom like yours, but thankfully not as bad. Would always blame us for being touched by her father as a child. Make us feel responsible for making her feel okay. Uh, constantly popped Xanax, Valium, Klonopin. And she would say the same thing your mom said. I gave my life for you, and you're going to find me dead in a ditch one day. I had to go through years of bullshit to make sense of it. You know, that's the thing, right? I mean, um, a lot of kids have a lot of bullshit that they had to go through when they were children. They were uh, denied what should be a proper childhood of forming social bonds, of having parents that are positive role models, of just living lives as children. You know, I, I, I had that denied to me. There's a reason today, there's a reason that, that my entire office here has a shitload load of toys. You look behind me. I got shelves of toys. I, I've, got, I've got toys in boxes in a storage facility because my office isn't big enough to put the statues in and stuff like that. Every Christmas, every Christmas, I uh, when I give gifts, I insist, regardless of the person's age, if I'm giving you a gift, yeah, I'll give you a real gift, but I'm also going to give you some sort of toy. Because uh, when I was a child, I didn't have a, uh, uh, a lot of that. So, uh, you know, this, this comment that, that I, if parents could just appreciate the role an influence they have on children's lives, how positive that can be and how negative that could be. If they could just realize that, I think we'd have a better world overall. I think if, if, if someone could realize that, the damage that could be done, I think that most people would choose not to do that. That's my hope anyway. Got another person here, uh, user NG. You're an absolute breath of fresh air, accountable. Thank you. Um, there are other comments that we'll go through some other time. I, I did want to <laughs> leave it on a, on a bright note. So uh, this is from Wade Walton, and we're going to close it out after his comments here. Wade. This is from Wade Walton, 9612. He listened to the uh, the Bill O'Hanlon podcast on Criminal Thoughts. He also listened to the Joshua Moses podcast on Criminal Thoughts, and he made some comments. First comment out of the gate for Bill O'Hanlon. Fuck cybersecurity. You have a job for life teaching interrogation techniques. <laughs> Thank you, Wade. I appreciate that. Next comment. It is no wonder... That Frank Abagnale won't be in the same room with you. 
That's exactly right, because I would call that son of a bitch out. He lies, he has lied, and he continues to lie at 76 years old. Think about that. You are in your friggin' late 70s, and you continue to lead a life of deceit. What the hell, man? Gotta come to terms sometime or another. At least admit it. I mean, you've made your money. At least admit that you're a lying fuck. And you're right, he won't be in the same room with me. Wade Walton, again... This is his last comment. We're going to close it out at this. He watched the jo- Joshua Moses episode and he says, Brother, that was one of the greatest interrogations I have ever seen in 40 plus years. The most seasoned detective, even after watching or being taught this, could only hope to take away 10% of a lesson from this. However, It reinforces the shut the fuck up rule. You never talk. It can only result in jail or a good beating. That's leaving the show on a high note today. My name is Brett Johnson. This is the Brett Johnson Show. We go through the bad. We go through the good. We talk about the hard. We talk about the fun. We've hit it all. One thing about it, we are always honest. We're always going to be open. We're always going to tell the truth. Period. I don't give a good goddamn what else happens. We're always going to be honest and open and tell the truth. All right. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe I throw in some voices. Maybe you like those. Maybe you don't. Maybe hopefully you get some value out of it, though. I know that I do. You know, the comments that I read today, they didn't help anybody else. They helped me. And I appreciate the comments. So please continue to do that. Send me an email. Send me an email over at brett at the brettjohnsonshow.com. I promise you I read it. I promise you I'll respond to it. Send me a note on LinkedIn, Twitter, on the comments section on YouTube. I'll read them. I'll respond to you guys. And please make sure to subscribe if you can. Of course you can. If you like it, subscribe. If you don't like it, subscribe. Bitch, moan, complain. Give me positive feedback. Give me negative feedback. Give me some feedback. Give me something. I really appreciate it. You guys taking the time to listen. I truly do. And I take uh, I take every single listener to heart. I, I do. I respect every single one of you. And I, I thank you for taking the time and giving me the time that you have. My name is Brett Johnson. We're going to close things out. Stay safe. Stay secure. And stay vigilant. More importantly, all that can be wiped away by just doing one thing. At the end of the day... Just do the right damn thing. I'm Brett Johnson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.